Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. We want to rightly divide the Word of God. If you have a question, then just go ahead and submit your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure uh, that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. Uh, we today have our first question from our last Q&A, which was on Wednesday. Near the end of it, we got a question from Kyler, and his question was, uh, their question was, uh, why is it that I stray from God? I know that what I am doing is wrong. I feel like I might not be saved at the same time I do. How can I make sure I never stray again? All right, so let's just take this one at a time. And I answered this quickly and briefly because we were out of time, uh, but I wanted to come back and give it a little bit more time because uh, Kyler, what you're going through is, is a kind of a crisis in faith. You've got a struggle going on in your life and you failed. You don't wanna struggle again. And sometimes you feel like you're not saved. There are all kinds of different crises that people have and you're not alone. Elijah had a crisis of faith at one point and wanted to die. Jeremiah had a crisis of faith and wrote about wishing that he had never been born. Other people in the Bible, the Psalms are full of people saying things like, why so downcast, O oh my soul? God gives us, and, and early church fathers, church fathers, pastors, all struggle with different crises in faith. Uh, when you're a new believer, when you're an older believer, there are things that you go through, trials, struggles, that can cause you to go, what am I doing and why am I doing this and how can I change it? So I wanted to encourage you in this, uh, particularly with what you're going through. So the first thing that you say is, why is it that I stray away from God? Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray and that we have a sin nature. Galatians tells us that there is a struggle inside of us, our spirit wanting to do what is good and the flesh wanting to do what is bad. They struggle against each other so that we don't do what we wish. Well, which one wins then? Well, really, at times, both of them win and we don't do what we wish. We wanna follow God and we wanna please Him and we want to walk in the spirit or we want are the things of our flesh and sometimes, we do the things of the flesh and we need to ask forgiveness. The Bible says if anyone says that he doesn't sin, that he's a liar. That's first John, first uh, John chapter one. Everybody sins. And so, and everyone is prone to stray away from God. And so it's something that we have to fight against. It's a struggle that we need to face and we need to settle in uh, to that struggle. The next thing that you ask here, Kyler, is I know that what I am doing is wrong, all right? I understand that. I understand that you've got a desire to walk with Christ, that you made a commitment to Him, you wanna please Him, but then you've got the struggle in your flesh and at a moment you want to do what is wrong, even though you wanna do what is right. I've said this before, I wanna do what God wants me to do, even if I don't wanna do it. A Jesus, when he prayed in the garden, said, not my will, but your will be done. So here we have God the Father in heaven and God the Son on earth, God in his humanity, fully human, fully God, struggling with a different will from the Father. Now that wasn't sinful because Jesus never sinned. He was tempted in every way we are and yet without sin. But nevertheless, it illustrates the point that there are gonna be times when because we are in the flesh, we want to do the things that are in the flesh. But the Bible tells us if we love him, we will keep his commandments. That means, first of all, we'll have a desire to keep his commandments. And secondly, we'll be able to get there and do it. Now, here my heart goes out to you. Uh, I feel like I might not be saved at the same time I do. I can tell you there's no one listening to this that has been a Christian for any significant amount of time that doesn't understand that statement. We have all struggled. When, when you come to Christ, I came to Christ at 14 years old. I had a lot that I had to go through, through the, the teenage years and, and early adulthood and a, a lot of trials since then. But there were times as a young Christian that I felt like I wasn't saved, especially when the enemy was able to really come in and condemn. And remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're feeling condemned, 
it is by Satan. When you say, I, um, I feel like I might not be saved. I, I don't want to take that lightly. I want to make sure, Kyle, that you have, Kyler, that you've made a real genuine commitment to Christ, that you have chosen to believe in him, that you've received him as your savior, and which is very biblical, 1 John 1, 19, as many as receive him, he gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. And if you have trusted and believe in him and received him as your savior, and yes, as your savior, then, then you will be born again. And it's not about feelings, it's about knowing. And the real test that we have is that we want to do what God wants us to do. And your last statement makes me think that that's what you're saying. How can I make sure I never stray again? And I think that you're saying, I don't want to stray again. How can I make sure? Now, I've got some good news, I've got some bad news. The bad news is, you're, you're gonna do some things wrong again, you're gonna stray. Now, maybe it will never be whatever this sin is that you've struggled with that you don't wanna do again, but you are gonna fall short again and you are gonna come to God and, and feel bad and repent. But this is where we fall on the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. The good news, you never have to do that sin that you're struggling with again but it's gonna take some things that you do. The Bible tells us to walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So this means, that's, and I, I love this because it's positive, Kyler. You walk in the spirit. You uh, seek those things that are edifying to you. And you know that as you sow to the spirit, from the spirit, you're gonna reap life. As you sow to the flesh, from the flesh, you'll reap corruption. So this is a sowing kind of a thing. How many things have you sowed to the flesh recently? How many things are you sowing to the spirit? How can this change? And it takes a while for it to change, but it does change. And the crop that you'll have in the future, if you sow to the spirit, will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It will be a life that is lived pleasing to God. And if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you'll reap corruption. And we all have to learn how to go around that. And the enemy loves to come in and accuse. He is the accuser. But we have an advocate, which is Jesus Christ, who has put a white robe on you. You are clean before Christ if you've received him as your savior. And now you move forward. Also make sure that you're in a good Bible-believing church, that you're getting regular Bible study. Also delight in the Lord. He will not give you, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you delight in the things of this world, then your desires are gonna be for the things of the world. If you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So those are just a few things that you can do that are gonna help you to make sure that your inner man is being renewed day by day. The Bible says that our outer man's perishing, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. And one day we, I will not have the struggles of this body anymore, but we will be in the presence of God. And what a wonderful day that will be. All right, so thank you very much, Kyler, for your question uh, that you had last week. And I'm gonna go ahead and take questions now. First of all, I wanna say, uh, hello to all of you guys who are watching. Let's see if I got this working again. I do. So it's good to have you guys on. I love the community that we are building here uh, together. And I really thank God for all that he's doing. And um, I really appreciate you guys. I see on here, we've got a couple of questions. Uh, if you have a question, you can just write the word question out, then write out your question, kind of like Kimberly did here. And um, then put your reference in like she did. Uh, and we'll take a look at it and we will look at it. Now also, you can subscribe to this podcast. This is not only a Q&A that's on social media like YouTube and Facebook, but it's also a podcast. And if you subscribe to our podcast, you're gonna get three things. You're gonna get our long form teaching, which is our Sunday teachings and our Wednesday teaching. Right now we're going through the book of Revelation. We're also going through the book of Luke and you're gonna get these Q&As which we're gonna cover whatever it is. The, we let the questions drive the podcast. And so whatever questions you have are the things that we're gonna address to the best of our ability by the word of God. But you're also gonna get our hot topics where we cover things that are, that are well, just that, that are hot topics, things that may be controversial, things Christians need to know. And we look at what the scriptures have to say about them. And you're gonna get all of those. You can subscribe to, to TruthQuest podcast with Robert Furrow, wherever you get your podcast at.
All right. So first of all, I want to go ahead and take our first question, which is fact check these hands. Uh, good to see you. And you got first today. I don't know where Andre is, maybe a little bit further down the line. Uh, fact check these hands says question. I feel the a Holy Spirit leading me to share the gospel with an arrogant, dismissive, insufferable person. I'm sorry, fact check these hands. I'm not really laughing at you. I'm kind of laughing with you. I'm not bold enough. I have few opportunities with this person. Why me? Should I proceed? Um, okay, so fact check these hands. First of all, I understand. If the Holy Spirit, if you feel the Holy Spirit is leading you, then you have to do it. Because if you don't do it, then it would be sin. Now, is the Holy Spirit leading you? I guess that's a question that you can ask. Sometimes you can feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you when the Holy Spirit isn't. Why might not the Holy Spirit want you to, to share with a person like this? One thing I think of is it could be casting your pearls before swine. So I've shared the gospel with people who all of a sudden get angry and they get insulting and they start to attack Jesus. And I realize this is what Jesus meant when he said, uh, don't cast your pearls before swine. And so I'm careful to not share with that particular person. Uh, I think the message of the gospel is for everyone. And I'm looking for opportunities to be able to plant seeds, to water seeds, and even to see if someone wants to make a commitment to Christ. I'm looking for that opportunity as I'm interacting in the world around me. And so you look for God to open up an opportunity to be able to share with them. Um, it, it, it may be that God just wants you to step out in faith. If they really are arrogant, dismissive, in, in, um, insufferable, um, then that's going to be tough. But as you look for an opportunity to be able to share your faith, look at how they respond, and then go from there. Uh, all you can do is be faithful to what God has called you to do. And if you feel like God has called you to do something, whether or not he's called you to do it, if you feel like it, you pray and seek God, make sure it's him, and then do it. And step out in faith. Who knows what God might not do if you did that. Who knows how God might move in the life of this individual if God is asking you to do that. All right. So thank you. Fact check these hands. I appreciate that. We have a question from Annika. Annika says, and good to see you, Annika. Annika says, thoughts about Job's friends. They seem to say true, right things, yet Job is not comforted. Um, yeah, Annika, I do have thoughts about Job's friends. I think they're not very good friends. There, there's, there's Job and what Job goes through. And Job says some pretty bold things to God. Job says some fantastic things that he knows his Redeemer lives and will stand with him upon the earth, that his commitment is to, to death, to serve and follow God. We know that God said of Job that he was righteous. And so Job did the things, uh, did things that were indeed right. And yet um, Job still made some statements. He said, I wish God were a man and I'd set him down. And I'd ask him what he was doing. That's not the, the, the heaviest thing that Job said to God. So Job said some things that were indeed wrong. And God is going to, well, God says that. He says, none of you guys are right. At, near the end of the book, as he starts to question Job, like, you really think you got it together? Did, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do you think you really know what I'm doing, exactly what I'm doing? Uh, Job's friends were not comforting. They came and they said, come on, Job. I'm paraphrasing them. Come on, Job. What did you do? You really did something wrong and bad because God doesn't do this unless something, someone does something really bad. So you're under the judgment of God. Today, people would say, Job, you don't have enough faith. God wants to heal you or God wants to cause you to be rich, but you've lost everything and you don't have enough faith. Uh, these friends were not very good friends. Job's wife even said to Job, curse God and die. Why don't you just curse God and die? So he had all kinds of people around him. But then there's a young man, Elihu, that shows up. And Annika, if you read what Elihu says, there is wisdom in what he says. And it seems like he is saying what is right. The friends, not so much. 
Job sometimes on, sometimes off. But Elihu says what's right. Uh, we do not want to be Job's comforters. That's pejorative, meaning it's negative. We don't want to be that. If someone ever says to you, you are like Job's comforters, then they're, they're saying something bad to you. They're telling you you're not being a very good comforter. Uh, you want to you want to be empathetic towards those who are suffering. You want to be encouraging. You want to help where you really can. Sometimes just being there with someone who's going through a struggle is a good thing. But telling them that it's their fault, that God's punishing them, they must have done something wrong. None of these things are good things. All right. So thank you very much, Annika. I appreciate that. And I, I really appreciate you guys too. I'm looking over here at the questions again. And um, I appreciate you guys keeping the questions more on point so that we can discuss the questions that are asked. Maybe you guys have some insight or a scripture that you want to bring up about it. Maybe encouraging one another, letting each other know you're praying for them. I love the community that's being established here as we do these Q&As. And um, I think that in this community of faith, all koinonia who trust and believe in Jesus, or those of us who do, um, that we can really be there for one another, pray for each other. There can be a difference because we take part in uh, this Q&A. And so we have a question from uh, Kimberly, Empress Kimberly. And Kimberly says, question, hi, Pastor. Matthew 5, 22, why does Jesus use the phrase without cause in this verse? Thanks, Pastor, for all that you do. All right, Kimberly, thank you very much. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the encouragement. I really am blessed uh, when you guys encourage me. I, uh, I appreciate that. Let's go to Matthew 5, 22. And let's see what it is. I'm trying to remember. Okay, uh, without a cause. All right, so here we go. Let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you, and we'll take a look at it. So Jesus says, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and give your gift. All right, so Jesus is talking to people who are under the law, giving gifts at the altar. The altar would be actually in the temple. Um, he says, um, let's go back to verse 21. You have heard that it is said of those of old, you shall not murder, um, or you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Uh, so why did Jesus add in the without a cause there? Uh, the Bible says, Kimberly, be angry and do not sin. I take it Jesus was angry when he flipped over the tables in the temple because people were taking advantage of other people's sincere desire to serve and worship God. So there can be a right time to be angry. That doesn't mean that Jesus had an outburst of wrath, that he just went out of control. He came and saw the tables and just went out of control and flipped them over. It says he went over the corner and he made a whip. He was angry at what is taking place, and he's now going to take his position as the Messiah, and he's going to show authority. And so when we get angry about something, there's, there is a motivation that comes up with that anger. You don't want that anger to be the driving force. You don't want that to be an outburst of anger. In fact, that would be not being led by the Spirit. That would be, that would be the flesh. But when you're angry because somebody is mistreating someone else and you have a position to be able to take care of that and you take care of it, you call them in and you are angry and you are firm, but still gentle and loving because you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, then you're, you're not guilty of this. So there is righteous anger. And then the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't live in that anger. But I, yeah, I get angry sometimes at certain things that are, are taking place. I was asked a question here on the Q&A a few weeks ago uh, that really made me mad. It, it was about, well, I, I, I don't want to bring it up exactly, but I'll tell you that in my response, I, I was really upset, tried to stay controlled um, because there are some things that 
we should be angry about when people do. And, um, and, and so um, hopefully that's helpful um, without a cause. Yeah, you, you're just gonna hate somebody. You're gonna be really angry at somebody. And um, when, when you're driving down the road and they cut you off and then they drove really slow, instead of just kind of going, okay, I'm gonna be patient now, I'm gonna go ahead and make it. Um, and being an angry person is never encouraged in scripture. We are to, to be that have that outburst of anger or to be that angry person is not is not Christ like is not following Christ and not what Christ wants for us. All right. So I appreciate uh, that, Kimberly. I appreciate your question and I appreciate you. Uh, if uh, you are here today and you have a question, if you're here for the very first time, really glad to have you here. I hope that you guys are blessed. Uh, I hope that uh, the Lord is really speaking to you. Uh, we have a question here from Jari. I want to go ahead and bring that in. Uh, Jari says, is God's name Jehovah? Had a Jehovah Witness come by the door and said, churches don't read the Bible anymore and honor God, sacred name Yahweh or Jehovah? Well, okay, so as I understand it, and I think I'm right in saying this, Jari, and I, I don't speak Hebrew, but I'm pretty sure and this is easy to check, right? We can just, if only there were all of these computers around the world that were connected together that we can check on. There is no J sound in Hebrew. Now, again, I'm not saying that emphatically. I'm just saying that's what I've been told. And I believe it's correct. And if there is no J sound in, in Hebrew, then it can't be Jehovah. What we know is that the Tetragrammaton, the name that was spoken from the burning bush, means I am or ever existent one, and it is Y-H-W-H, and would be pronounced, it seems, in Hebrew, Yahweh. That's what it seems like it would be pronounced. Uh, I have, again, been told, and I'm not really sure uh, whether or not this is true, but I've been told that we are pretty certain that those who are experts in the area of Hebrew language, like there are certain words that we could receive, that we could have, and we would know what the pronunciation is, and that they pretty much know that it was Yahweh, as we would say it today, that that is actually the name of God. M might be the case, might not be the case, uh, but the Jehovah Witnesses are wrong on so many levels uh, because, um, well, gosh, we could talk about a lot of things that Jehovah Witnesses believe that are wrong, but all they want to do is come to your door and they want to talk to you about something that you believe in and that is a Christian that is contrary to try to point out that they somehow are right and you somehow are wrong. And um, the, um, the Jews would not even say the name of God because God was so holy to them. So yeah, um, I would do a little bit of research on that, and uh, we pretty much know that it's not Jehovah, and that it is that is YHWH most likely pronounced Yahweh. And I don't think saying Jehovah is wrong. I just think that when you say we've got the name right and nobody else does, that it's very problematic, especially from a cult that has changed the Bible, that has added to it and taken away. They're, so you've got to read from your own Bible when you're reading to them because their Bibles have been changed, especially from a cult that has set dates for the return of Jesus. And those dates have always been wrong. And then they finally said Jesus came back secretly. We weren't wrong. He came back secretly. Uh, and Jesus said that some are going to say, look here, look there. He's in the inner chamber. Don't listen to them. So I like to say to them, Jesus told me not to listen to you. So I'm confused. Who should I listen to? You or them? Uh, Jesus or, or you, I think I'll listen to Jesus. They also deny the deity of Jesus. They deny that Jesus was God. They say that he was the firstborn. Misusing that word there in Colossians, that means the firstborn as in a title, that he is the inheritor. He's the one that has inherited everything. He is the firstborn. It doesn't mean he was created. John 1, 2 and 3 tells us, and, and just let me go ahead and go here. Uh, I'll, I'll bring it up on the screen for you. John 1, and I'll start in verse one. And then um, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
he was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. That means he cannot be the first one ever created like the Jehovah Witnesses say. It means that he made everything in him is life and that life is the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he is, he is the creator. He is the creator of all. And go back to Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here it says, he was in the beginning and all things were made through him. That means he made the earth a little bit later on. Let us make man in our own image. So he created the male and female in his image. Jesus is the one who created that as well. All right. So there, there's a lot of resources out there, Jari, uh, that you can get. It's been a long time since I've studied uh, the name Jehovah compared to Yahweh. And so I'm not recalling all of the details on it, but they're out there. And I can tell you, if you just spend a few minutes looking it up, uh, then you're going to be able to get some good information that's going to be able to help you. All right. So uh, thank you very much, Jari. It's good to see you. Uh, good to have you here with us today. Uh, we have a question from John P. John, good to have you here. John says, is the book of Job starting in 112? A friend asked me if all the calamities that fell on Job happened in one day or longer. I said one day. Now I have second thoughts. Uh, God bless you. All right, thanks. So let's go ahead and take a look at that and see if we can figure it out. Um, Job is considered to be, um, is considered to be a, uh, the wisdom writings like Proverbs and Psalms and that it is could be more artistic. Not that it didn't literally happen, but it's written in a much more artistic form, the way that Proverbs and, and, uh, and Psalms are. And so sometimes you do want to take a look at things like this and see, was he talking about a literal day or not? So I have um, Job 1.12, let me get it up here. Almost there. Uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. Um, all right. I'm bringing it up on the screen for you. So, and the Lord said, uh, Satan, behold, all that he, um, that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on a person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when the sons of daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Um, I don't see anything here that would make me think that all this happened in one day. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything that not out of this passage. So I'm not sure whether or not there's another passage, uh, John, that would make us think that it was in one day. Um, I'm not really sure why it would matter that much unless the Bible says that all of these things, maybe Job said it, all of these calamities have come upon me in one day. Uh, maybe he said something like that, and maybe he didn't mean one day. He just meant suddenly. I'm not sure. Um, but Job 1.12 doesn't have anything about a day in there. Uh, so, yeah, maybe you're, it's good on you kind of thinking, rethinking your thoughts on that. Uh, I don't know why it would be important that it had to be one day unless there's a passage that says it. And then we've got to figure out, is, is this... A, a, a one day meaning one day or does it mean longer than a day like the day of the lord is not one day right so it depends on how things are said and what exactly they mean as to whether or not they are literal or not you know the context helps us in that um john and so uh we want to we of course read the bible as it is meant to be written and uh, we can uh, we can take our time to be able to do that. All right. So hopefully that is helpful. And if you have another passage, then go ahead and submit that passage as well. All right. So um, uh, all right. Uh, just looking at you guys's um, interaction here again. Good to see you guys. Good to see you chatting. Um, we have a question from Broken Warrior. Um, Broken Warrior, good to see you. Good to have you here. If you're watching for the very first time, we're really glad to have you guys here. Uh, we hope that you're blessed by the time that you spend looking at these questions with us. Uh, can you explain what the 70 weeks of Daniel mean as far as what Israel is required to give to God? I think it has to do with working six years and letting the land rest for seven years. Yeah, so it's not just Daniel, um, 
Daniel 9 that we're talking about. It's the whole context. So the whole context of this is that um, that Daniel was thinking about this, this, the reading through the prophecies of Jeremiah, saw the 70 years there. They were in the land for seven, they were kept in captivity for 70 years, God said, because they had not given the land rest for 490 years. There was not only a week of days, but there was a week of years. And they had not kept the week of years because they lacked faith. They just, God wanted them to take a year off every seven years. By the way, I vote for that. I think that that would be great to be able to do that. And they didn't do it. And we now know that you've got to rotate crops on land or you've got to give the land rest or you've got to re-put the nutrients back into the land. So what God was doing was trying to give the land rest so that it would be fruitful for them. Uh, at least that's part of it. Also in testing their faith. Can you trust me that if I tell you to take a year off, will you take a year off and not work your land for that year? And they wouldn't do it. And so they went into captivity because of their disobedience to God. Now Daniel sees it's almost done. And so then he has this vision. And in that vision, there are uh, 70 sevens determined for Israel. The context is weeks of years. So 70 sevens would be 490 years. And then we go through those 490 years for uh, 40, um, there are seven of those sevens or 49 years, seven of those sevens are uh, for the rebuilding of the walls and the streets. And then 62 of those are for, let me think, is that the 62? Yeah, are, are um, take place until the point of the Messiah. In fact, let me just, instead of just trying to go over it in my head, let me just go there. I think I can read through this quickly enough without taking a lot of time to be able to do it, but I can go ahead and describe this. So Daniel uh, chapter nine, and let's just go to verse one, the first year of Darius. Let me get to the actual vision itself. Um, near the end here. Let me see. Uh, there we go. All right. So let me just put this up on the screen for you and we'll go ahead and go over it. So he says, now, now we already know the context. It's the 70 of sevens, the 70 weeks of years. Okay. Now, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sins of my people, Israel, and presenting supplication before the Lord, my God, the holy mountain of God. Yes. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision, the be, uh, the beginning being caused to fly swiftly reached me about the time of the offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At your beginning of your supplications, the command went out and I had to come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Here it is. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city, for Jerusalem and for Israel, to finish transgressions, to make it into sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Now that's everything. Everything's going to be done to seal up sin. That's it all. 70 weeks are determined for Israel to take care of it all. That's 490 years. And then it says, um, at the, um, and to appoint uh, and to anoint the most holy. So the Messiah is going to come within that time. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah shall be 70 weeks and uh, shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So that is, that is 69 years, right? 70 weeks and 62 weeks is 69 weeks of years. That's 483 years. There's one seven left. It says the streets shall be built and the wall again, even in troublesome time. So we know this wasn't the command to go and rebuild the temple. It was the command to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls and the streets. The only command that meets that criteria is Artaxerxes to Nehemiah. And we know he gives us the date in Nehemiah. So we know the date. It wasn't arbitrarily chosen. I was listening to a couple that would be considered to be critics. I listened to some podcasts that are out of my echo chamber and I was listening to them and they were saying that this number is randomly chosen by people who want to, you know, want to make prophecy work. And then they count it off to Jesus. That's not true. Go back to Daniel chapter one. Look at the dates that are there. It's like March 14th, um, 448 BC. 
I think is the exact time or yeah, I think it's the exact time that, that that's given. Um, and it might be, it, it might be um, a different date, but I'm, I, so I'm not sure exactly what the date is, but the date is there. I can't remember right now what the date is, but um, if you take that date and you go 69 weeks or 483 years, you come to the ministry of the Messiah, not just the life of the Messiah. Now, some people like to pinpoint the day he rode in, in, the donkey into Jerusalem, but where, but scholars disagree about what year exactly that was. But what we come to when you do 483 years by the Babylonian calendar, which is the calendar that they used, then you come to the late, you come to the early 30s, the time of the, the ministry of the Messiah. And that's phenomenal. It says Messiah shall be cut off and not for himself. So again, this is a prophecy in the Old Testament and the Messiah, it was cut off on the cross, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, that's Rome. So somehow the prince that is to come, that's the Antichrist, the people who destroy it, the sanctuary, and the end of it will be with a flood. That means a war until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then you shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the one week that's left. You've had the 69 weeks. Now you have the one week that's left. And that's God again, working with Jerusalem. 70 weeks are determined for your holy people and for Jerusalem too. And then he lists all those things that will come to end. So by the end of this last 70, Messiah was cut off. There's been a gap until that 70th week of Daniel comes around. It just so happens to be seven years. You find three and a half years and three and a half years in the book of Revelation and other places in the Bible. It's talking about that last 70 weeks. Um, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of a week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall one make desolate. That's the middle of the tribulation period, even until the consummation was determined um, is poured out on the desolate. And that's when he puts a statue up and commands everyone to worship him. All right. So again, the context of this is in weeks of years. When someone says to me, well, you're playing fast and loose with that. How do you know it wasn't weeks? Because read the context. They had been for 70, for 77, 70 years, they've been in captivity because they didn't give the land rest for 490 years. And now he says, 70 more weeks are determined for Israel. Another 490 years are determined for them. There's going to be seven weeks, the rebuilding, then 62 weeks. That brings us to the Messiah. Then he's cut off. And then there's a gap. And we have the final week left. And that final week could start really at any time. All right. So thank you very much, um, Broken Warrior. I hope that is helpful. You certainly can have a follow-up question if you, um, and all the time, by the way, follow-up questions are welcome. Um, we can't always get to them, but I can look at them later on and, and in a future Q&A, be able to look at your follow-up question and see if we might not be able to make things a little bit clearer, if it really didn't get your question and wasn't all that clear. All right. But it is good to see you guys. Good to have you on. Uh, we have a question from Daru. I think that's how we pronounce your name. Sorry if I'm butchering that. I think I tell you sorry every time. Daru, question. Was it right to have the COVID vaccine uh, cause some people are saying people around the world are dying from the vaccine and uh, which I don't really believe. Um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly how to to answer you. I can tell you what I believe. And so you can take this as this is what Pastor Robert believes. I think the vaccines were rushed out. I think that they were rushed out without properly being tested. Uh, I think that there's been a lot of problems from the vaccines. I know there are now lawsuits being filed against Moderna and Pfizer and also against the United States government because they made it mandatory for people to get it. And if the vaccine caused problems, um, will that be provable? Suing the government can be problematic. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of really good lawyers. They can make laws, right? Um, but I think it's something we'll know. I, I suspect that there are problems with the vaccine. I mean, people, people get the flu shot. And I don't want to scare people from getting the flu shot. I get the flu shot, but people get the flu shot and sometimes they can get sick and it can alter their lives. 
their lives will change and never be the same. And I do know that there are anti-vaxxers out there and I know vaccinations have done a tremendous help uh, to the world. And so this is a complicated question with a lot of different angles with it. And it's also political. And Daru, I don't want to get caught up in that. Um, yeah, are, um, are the, are the um, is it right to have the COVID vaccine? You have to make that decision for yourself. I decided to get it and I got the Johnson and Johnson because it wasn't an MRNA. I'm not saying that if you got the MRNA, that's a problem. I'm just saying there are a lot of people and people that I know that when they got the shot or they got the booster, they got really sick and, and ended up in the hospital. And is that all a coincidence that that's happened to several people? I don't know whether you know anyone that that's happened to, um, but I don't know. So sorry to give you the old, I don't know, uh, Daru. It's, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, what I think, but of course, there's no real biblical answer uh, to that question. Nothing that we can look at. All right. Um, so let's, let's go and bring Daru in here again. He's got another question, Pastor Robert. On the COVID vaccine, was it right for me to get the vaccine? Because people are saying to me that you're maybe getting uh, to get health problems in the future. Um, what are your What are your thoughts? Okay, yeah. So I, I did just kind of cover that, Daru. Um, I, uh, I think it's always problematic when someone tries to make something mandatory and that happened with the vaccine. And um, I'm really glad that they're backing away from that now. It, it was so political when Trump had his operation, um, whatever it was, uh, that that brought the vaccine out. It was like quick, whatever. Um, I, I, I can't I'm remember what that is right now either. Um, but then when Biden and um, Kamala came on, then they said, we're not going to take the vaccine because it's Trump's. And then when it came time for the vaccines to come out and they were in power, they wanted everybody to take the vaccine. And I often wondered when there were a lot of Republicans that weren't wanting to take it, a lot of Democrats who were, I wondered if the roles were reversed. If Trump had won the election, would the Democrats not be taking it and the Republicans taking it? So, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I take it that you already took the vaccine. Daru, so now you just kind of trust God because of the way you worded this. Um, was it right for me to get the vaccine? So now you just trust God and kind of go on from there. All right, and and, and God will be able to take care of you and, and hopefully there isn't anything long lasting with these. You will pray that there is anything long lasting with, these, uh, with this vaccine. All right, so we have a question from Debbie. Debbie says, uh, Pastor Robert, since this is Pastor Appreciation Month, um, with your comment about encouragement, I want to say I'm so very grateful for your leadership, verse by verse, Bible truth. Thanks and God bless. Thank you very much, uh, Debbie. I appreciate that. Yep, Pastor Appreciation Month is almost done. A couple more days. Um, also, another great thing that, about October for us is that it was at the end of October that we came out to Tucson from Albuquerque to start our Bible study to see what God was going to do. And the church was a result of that. And that was now 37 years ago at the end of October. And um, so really been blessed to be able to teach the Bible for so long. There are some people that were in the church in the first few years that still attend the church, which is absolutely amazing. I really do love uh, the people that are going to the church. I love the church in general and um, been blessed to be its pastor for 37 years. And I uh, hope that God allows me to be another 15, 20 years. We'll see uh, what God has. All right, so we have a question from Rod. Rod says, um, question, faith promise. Some churches do this to get an idea of missions budgets. I think it's not biblical. We give to missions, but don't promise your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I, I would think of a couple of things, Rod. I would think that Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And don't take any vows. So I think that, <coughs> excuse me, a faith promise is like a vow. You're saying, I promise I'm going to give this much to you. And then you're bound to that. Now you've got to keep it. And what if something happens? What if 
there's an emergency in your life and you have a, a liquidity crisis and suddenly you don't have the money to do it and you made a vow that you would do it. Uh, I would say that it's better to go what the Bible says when they were helping Jerusalem, it was the churches that had been ministered to helping Jerusalem that uh, Paul said, give as you determine in your heart. So you make the decision how much you want to give and then you give it. And it's good. It's good to give to it's good to give to missions. Uh, remember, Paul went and worked while he was doing missions while he planted churches. And I'm not saying that missionaries shouldn't get support to go out and do it. I think it's a good thing. I just think it should stay really connected. And you want to make sure the dollars you're giving to missions are really making a difference. So know the people that you're giving it to and um, and who you're supporting and that their work is r real and genuine for the gospel. Some areas in the world are really hard to do mission work in. So I'm not talking about numbers and success. I'm just talking about whether they're really out there doing the work that God has called them to do. And uh, sometimes people have been given uh, mission, uh, have been given things uh, that ended up being, they weren't really doing the work for God at all. They were doing it for themselves. So yeah, I think that faith promises about giving to churches, giving to missions, all of that, you shouldn't do it. And what I do is um, there are ministries that I give to monthly. And sometimes when an event has happened and they want yearly support, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say I'm going to do that for a year. Um, it's not, yeah, uh, it's not really the same as a faith promise. Although, you know, it's just kind of like it, it, as a step of faith that I feel I can do that. But I, I really will do it for as long as I really feel like God wants me to do for that particular ministry. All right. So, yeah, I don't really think that we could say that the Bible encourages us or it's biblical because where are you going to find a passage that tells you to make a faith promise? It's just a way for them uh, to try to get a hold of their budget and get an idea of who can really give and who's not giving, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All right, Rod, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. So we have a question from Susan. And Susan says, why do you think Noah wasn't able to convince even one to turn from their sins? Why he even asked to try to save others while building the ark? Was he even a was even asked to try to save others while he was building the ark? Or was uh, he that bad of a leader? All right, Susan, so thank you for your question. Uh, let's just take time, some time to consider a few things that you say here. Uh, why do you think Noah wasn't able to convince not even one person from their sin? Uh, I believe that it says that he preached during those hundred years. And again, I, well, I hate that I can't remember a, a lot of passages uh, right off my head. And I'm just going to go ahead and go there for a minute uh, and see if I can see what it says here. Uh, so, um, Noah lived 500 years, had Hem, Shem, and Japheth. Uh, so, let's just read a little bit of this, uh, Susan, and see what we can, can get from it, all right? So, it says, uh, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. All right, so it's going to, yeah, it talks about the Nephilim and the sons of God and the daughters of men. Uh, so, let's go to verse 7. Um, all right, let's go to verse 9. Ha! <laughs> How about that? Uh, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt. So there might be a part of your question. Was it, completely, it was completely corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So that there was a lot of violence that was completely corrupt. Um, so, God looked, so God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence, though um, through them. And behold, I will destroy them with, uh, with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood with rooms in the ark, 
Um, and so I'm not sure that it says it here. Uh, there is, all right, so, so Noah's given it. So yeah, I think first of all, the earth was corrupt. Um, secondly, I think the Bible says that he was a preacher of righteousness. And so I don't think he was a bad leader. I think he was by faith doing what God had called him to do. Now, Noah wasn't perfect because, right, he got drunk, he took off his clothes, his son had to come in and cover him up, and uh, that ended up being a whole thing, right? And so none of these guys are perfect, and the Bible very um, consistently lets us know the bad things that people do. Uh, so was he asked to try to save others? I think that he did, and... Um, I can take some time to, to look that up and hopefully um, bring that back up, Susan, in, in a future Q&A. But I do believe the Bible says that he uh, was a preacher of righteousness. And um, I was just thinking, let me just take a quick look. Um, just let me take a moment here and see if I can look this up. How you doing? Maybe this wasn't such a good idea, but let's go and see what it says here. Um, let's see. Yeah, okay. Let me go ahead and go to 2 Peter 2. Let me see if I can find it. 2.5, all right. Let me go ahead and go to 2 Peter 2.5. All right, I'm glad I took some time to look that up. So, oops, wrong Bible. Let me go to the right one. All right. And this, let me take time to get over there now. I think that this will be worth it. Here, 2 Peter 2 and verse 5. So, um, here we go. Maybe we're going to put this up on the screen for you, and we'll read it. It says, and did not spare the ancient world. Let's go back a little bit and see what it says. For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell and deliver them to change of darkness to reserved for judgment. I think that's verses one through six of, of um, Genesis five. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world on the ungodly. So he was a preacher of righteousness and he did preach, but the world was entirely corrupt and none of them turned from their corruption to God in the in the preaching of Noah, except the eight, uh, his uh, three sons and his uh, daughter-in-laws that went with them. All right, I'm glad I took time, even though that a little bit of silence. You're so used to when you're doing radio programs, so I used to do q and I've done Q&A before on radio, and you can't have any silence. You just got to, you got to be like filling that time all the time, but realizing that on a podcast on, you know, um, a Q and a that's on social media, I can take time to look things up and make sure that I get the information. So thank you very much, Susan, for your question. I do appreciate that. Uh, we have a second question from Jari Two question day, Jari. What is the two lion like men of Benaniah that Benaniah killed? in 2 Samuel 23, 20, Nephilim or something else? Thank you. Well, that's a loaded question. Let me get there and ask it. I mean, let me get there and look at it. So we want to go to 2 Samuel 23, 20, and we're going to see whether there's anything in here that we might be able to, let me look down here first. All right. So, um, all right, so these are, are David's last words. Is that right? David's mighty men. So it's giving a list of the, the mighty men of David. I'm just trying to find context for this. Um, all right, so um, this is mentioning David's mighty men. And um, let me bring it up on the screen here. This is in the New King James. We might switch it here if we can see, if we can find other uh, versions that might be more helpful. Benaniah was the son of Jehodiah, the son of valiant men, from Kabazil, who had done many deeds, he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of the pit on a snowy day. And he had killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, 
So he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. All right, Benaniah, um, the son of Jedediah, did and won a name among the mighty men. Um, so Benaniah was one bad guy, right? Um, to be able to go do this. Uh, you could make a whole show about Benaniah. He would be like Reacher, right? Like, um, yeah, like Jack Reacher, um, being able to take care of things. So um, it'll be interesting to see what Benaniah looks like. Well, how big was he? So your question was, particularly, he killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. The interesting thing about that is that King Og was a giant from Moab. And in Genesis 6, it says, that there were Nephilim in the land after those days. And so lion-like heroes, I will, I will take it that they are not, that this is a description of the kind of warriors that they were. They were lion-like, um, not a description of what they looked like. Although, you know, lion-like could mean that they were, they were giants, you know, lion-like. Um, heroes of Moab who also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of the pit on snowy day and he did these other things. So yeah, um, and killed a spectacular Egyptian by wrestling the spear out of his hand. What a guy. Uh, but I'm not sure that that means the Nephilim that were in the, those days, the Rephidim that the Bible mentions, but they were in Moab and they were in Canaan and they did fight against the Moabites and, and defeat King uh, Og, who was a giant. And um, and then David finished up the work on the giants as they were moved down into the area of the Philistines. But uh, a great section of scripture for all, I forgot all about this list of the things that the mighty men did and um, much, uh, what, what, a, what a, what a incredible warrior Benaniah was uh, to be able to do those things. All right, thank you, um, Jari, for your question. I really appreciate that. Uh, and, Yeah, and, and I see Jari asking, could the Nephilim be saved because they were hybrids um, and, and repent? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like everyone was destroyed, including the Nephilim. Um, I don't know. You know, if they were hybrids, then if it was some kind of a genetic change to an egg and this hybrid was born, was there a human soul that was created out of it? It's the same thing that you want to ask about about cloning. If you clone someone to look like someone else, basically what you're doing is hijacking their DNA of the soul of an individual. So what was their soul hijacked? I think those are questions that could be asked. I don't know that we have all the answers uh, to all of those questions or not. So we have a couple more minutes here. Let me go through and just see if we've got another question that we can take some time to answer. Um, yeah, so we just talked about repentance, Jari. Three question day. All right, uh, I'm just going down here. I'm almost to the end. It looks like we have all of the questions for today. So uh, it's good to see you guys. Good to hang out, spend some time with you. Uh, looking at questions through the lens of scripture. Again, our desire is to know what God's word says so we can know what to believe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May you truly find yourself walking close to Christ, hungry for his word, the inner man, the inner woman being renewed day by day as you walk in the, uh, in the spirit before God. We have a service uh, that'll be in about an hour. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube or Facebook. You can also attend if you're here in Tucson um, and it will be at six o'clock. I'll be teaching about 6.20. Uh, we're looking at the denial of Peter. We're really looking at it as a crisis of faith. And we're going to look at some of the other things the Bible says about a crisis of faith. And the reason that I did that is because Jesus said, Satan is asking for you that he can sift you by, by like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would, would remain. So it was his faith that was trying to be destroyed. And I think it could have destroyed him, this great failure in the life of Peter that took so much to even restore him. And we're gonna be talking about that failure today. We're gonna to be talking about some of our failures and the crisis that we have in our lives. And so I look forward to covering that. If you would like to join us, we'd love to have you do that. Good to see you guys. Hey, um, if uh, 
if if you join us regularly, then subscribe and ring the bell uh, on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, a lot of times I, I'm able to look and to see who has subscribed and who hasn't. And a lot of times you're not subscribed. And I just encourage you to subscribe, ring the bell, um, give us likes. All of these things help the algorithm to be able to get more people to be able to watch it and more people minister to. And uh, I don't like to bring that up in the beginning of videos. I just feel like, hey, let's just get into what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, but if you would, then we would really appreciate that. All right, and if you're on Facebook too, you can like and share, and you can share this from YouTube as well onto Twitter. Uh, all of those things help, and I appreciate you guys. All right, so love you, and we will see you on Wednesday night, Lord willing. Uh, we'll be having a Q&A before our service on in Revelation on the Church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. That's the sixth of the seven churches. We're almost done. Then we're going to get into the heavenly visions, and then we'll get into all of the plagues, the 21 plagues that come down upon the earth, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowl judgments, all the judgments that come upon the earth. All right. So God bless you guys. Again, love you. Uh, we'll see you later on and uh, stay close to Jesus. All right.